0: Hello, and welcome to ACS Chemical Biology's podcast for December 2007. I'm Eric Martins, Senior Editor for the Journal. I'm joined by our Assistant Managing Editor, Anirban Mahapatra. Welcome, Anirban.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: In this issue, we feature articles from the labs of James Turkson, Nadia Tarasova, Mike Iba, and Mark Bradley. We'll be speaking with Professors Turkson, Tarasova, and Iba later in the podcast. But first, we want to highlight some interesting content you'll find only on our website.
1: In Ask the Expert, we're currently highlighting design and discovery of useful small molecules that selectively modulate proteins in living cells. Jack Taunton, a researcher at the University of California, San Francisco, will be fielding your questions about the tools of biology and chemistry. His research group is interested in understanding the signals that control actin assembly at membrane sites, and in using small molecules to dissect cellular functions. Submit your questions for him today at www.acschemicalbiology.org.
0: The December issue of ACS Chemical Biology features four exciting research papers. To learn more about the junior authors of these papers, please see the Introducing Our Authors feature in print and on the web. This month, we meet four young scientists, Sandro Ataide, Kandakar Sadique. Olga Timofayeva, and Delphine Punchain. Read this section and get a younger chemical biologist's perspective on their research.
1: Abnormal activation of STAT3 is involved in the development of tumors and blood malignancies linked to many types of cancers. In research published in the December issue of ACS Chemical Biology, Siddiqui and colleagues des- design a chemical compound that targets a region of the STAT3 protein, We are joined today by senior author James Turkson. Welcome, James. Thank you. What are STATS and what role do they play in cellular processes?
2: STATS are a family of latent cytoplasmic uh, proteins that function as signal transducers and transcription factors. They mediate the cellular responses to diverse cytokines such as growth factors and other polypeptide ligands. These processes include growth and proliferation, survival, inflammatory, and immune responses, as well as uh, development.
1: That's very interesting. Why did you choose to study STAT-3 in particular?
2: Compelling evidence from our studies and from others have uh, demonstrated that of the STAT family members, STAT-3 and STAT-5 are the two that have a critical role in the uh, processes leading to malignant transformation and tumor progression. Um, In that regard, Many human tumors, both solid and hematological tumors, have constitutively active STAT-3 signaling. In xenograft models of human tumors and in cell lines, evidence has demonstrated that inhibition of aberrant STAT-3 leads to tumor cell growth inhibition, cell death, inhibition of tumor angiogenesis, and and leads to tumor regression.
1: So what region of STAT-3 were you targeting, and why did you choose this area?
2: Um, our drug discovery efforts uh, have focused on targeting the STAR3SH2 domain. When STARs are activated by phosphorylation on a critical tyrosyl residue, two monomers of the phosphorylated uh, STAR proteins come together to form a star stat dimer. So you have two monomers that come and join together and give you a, a dimer. Uh, this dimer formation is due to interaction between the phosphorylated tyrosyl uh, moiety and the SH2 domain, forming what is referred to as a phosphotyrosine SH2 domain interaction. Thus, by targeting the Stat3 SH2 domain, we aim to disrupt preformed activated Stat3 Stat3 dimers, as well as block de novo Stat activation via prevention of uh, dimerization.
1: So, how did you design a small molecule specific for this region?
2: Uh, first, we examined the critical amino acid residues in the phosphotypes moiety of uh, STAR3 in terms of their biochemical importance for effective phosphotypes and SH2 domain interaction for STAR-STAR dimerization and achieved a minimum um, tripeptide sequence essential and sufficient for the dimerization step. Then, together with our um, chemist uh, collaborator, Dr. Andy Hamilton of Yale University Chemistry Department, we modeled the interaction between this tripeptide sequence and the star 3 SH2 domain based on the star 3 X-ray crystal structure and then designed series of peptidomimetic analogs that facilitate interaction with the star 3 SH2 domain.
1: And finally, we're interested in knowing if you were able to test these compounds in cell-based assays.
2: Yes, uh, we did test uh, these molecules, uh, in particular the uh, molecule S3IM2001. Uh, we first tested it in cell-based study that um, measure uh, star-3 activation in terms of DNA binding in nuclear extracts, as well as in luciferase reporter studies. In each of these assays, the uh, small molecule S three IM two zero zero one preferentially inhibits star three activation and star three dependent transcriptional regulation of a luciferous reporter. Moreover, the molecule inhibited growth and induces apoptosis of malignant cells that harbor constitutively active STAR3, start-ray, star three dependent V mediated transformation of mouse fibroblasts and in vitro migration and invasion of malignant cells that all harbor aberrant STAT3 activity.
1: It's very interesting. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, You're welcome. In another paper published in our December
0: issue, Timo Feve and colleagues present a short peptide fragment that targets a different region of STAT3. To discuss this exciting research, we are joined today by senior author Nadia Tarasova. Welcome, Nadia. Hello. We were just talking with Dr. Turkson, who targeted the SH2 domain of STAT3. You chose to target the N domain of STAT3 for inhibition. What do we know about this domain, and why did you decide to target this region?
3: Unfortunately, we don't know much about this domain, and that's the major reason why we decided to target it. So it is sort of surprising, because if you enter STAT3 in MEDLINE search today, you'll get 4,258 papers. I checked check that. And in spite of all this knowledge, we do not know actually what STAT3 N domain is doing. So it is one of the six major domains of STATs. So the general belief is that end domains of STAT transcription factors do play regulatory roles and are involved in interactions with other proteins. However, the available information strongly suggests that um, the domain may play different roles in different stat proteins. In general, the unusual feature of stat 3 is in its very high conservation among the species. So the degree of conservation is just amazing for such a large protein. For instance, stat 3s of mice and humans are practically identical. There is one conserved amino acid substitution. And there is not much difference between STAT3 of humans and, say, frogs or zebrafish. And three domains are the most conserved ones, and terminal domain, DNA-binding domain, and SH2 domain. So we do have rough ideas what DNA-binding domain and SH2 domain are doing, but we had very little idea about the N-domain. And that's why we decided to target it out of curiosity to see what's going to happen if we modulate its activity with chemical probes and to tell the truth, the result that we got surprised us. We didn't expect the effect on cancer cells to be this dramatic.
0: You use a peptide inhibitor. How did you identify a potent inhibitor?
3: We used uh, the available 3D structures of um, stat4 and stat1 and domains. The structure of stat3 and domain is not available, so it's always sort of risky to act by analogy. But that's what we had to do. So we identified the fragments and independent sort of folded fragments and screened them all, or many of those. So and then we again the following. Two major routes. So, in optimizing the structures, so we try to stabilize the folding of the peptide because short peptides tend to be unfolded in solution. So we were trying to introduce modifications that would make them more helical. From one hand, and second, we try to enhance the interactions that this particular peptide was involved in. So, and that's how we arrived to the structures that were much more potent than the original one that we synthesized.
0: We know that peptides are not always useful as therapeutics. Were there other ways that you modified your inhibitor to enhance it?
3: First, I would like to state that the applicability of peptides as drugs has been significantly underestimated for the last two decades. And successful use in the clinics of such peptides as Fuzion, for instance, or Stabilin c simuline, hemolyte, cubicine, and others has changed the perception. Metabolic stability and inability to cross membranes is still an issue with peptides, but this is an issue that we are learning to deal with. In our case, we have used Inversa technology to improve metabolic stability and lipidation to allow cell entry. When you are making a analog of um, the parent peptide, you are using all d acids, and those peptides are not clipped by proteases. And uh, lipidation is something that's not very frequently used, but becomes more and more uh, popular. And in our case, it served two purposes: not only it allowed cell penetration, but it also uh, improved the conformational stability of.
0: You mentioned that uh, you were able to test these uh, inhibitors in cancer cells. Uh, what did you find when you did that?
3: Oh, well, we have done extensive uh, testing of those peptides. Uh, we first of all found out that they not just slow down the growth of cancer cells, but they kill them, and they kill them very rapidly. And that was quite an unexpected effect. And very encouraging property of the inhibitors is also their selectivity towards cancer cells. So they're much less toxic to normal cells than to cancer cells.
0: What was the mechanism by which the inhibitors were able to kill the cancer cells?
3: So we know that they kill by apoptosis. We know that they do have influence on cytoskeleton. So, But we don't know the molecular mechanisms. So that's what we're currently working on.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Uh, what are the future directions now?
3: So then, you know, I partially answered your question, but there is definitely much more. So the molecular mechanisms, that's our primary interest because we really would like to know what kind of interactions we're destroying with the help of our peptides and what they interact possibly with. We know that they directly interact with star 3 but it's quite probable that there are some other proteins involved. So, and this is a big project that Olga Timofeeva, the first author of the manuscript, is currently working on. As I mentioned, a short peptide with a stable structure is a really rare find. And in this case, we do have such rare find in hands. And we plan to use it for studying the influence of different modifications in the main chain of the peptide on the conformation. And the mass spectroscopist Vadim Gaponinka and myself are collaborating on this project. And it has uh, far-reaching goals because it would allow us to obtain mimetics with predicted and desired structures in the future. Definitely uh, the other objective that we are following is the evaluation of in vivo effects of the compounds because we do plan to develop them into drugs.
0: Well, good luck in those future endeavors oh, and thank thanks. Thank we needed. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today.
3: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: We continue to define chembio glossary terms on the air. This month's keyword is citrullination. Citrullination is a post-translational protein modification that converts arginine side chains to citrulline. It is also called deimination. Ligation of the amino acid lysine to its tRNA is catalyzed by lysyl tRNA synthetases. In an elegant study described in the December issue of ACS Chemical Biology, Atayide and colleagues show that a lysyl tRNA synthetase is the primary cellular target of a small molecule antibiotic. We are joined today by senior author Mike Iba. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Annie. What are aminoacyl tRNA synthetases and why are they important?
4: Well, they're a fundamental group of enzymes. It's very easy to think about them simply as the enzymes that determine the genetic code. So there is one amino trna alternative synthetase for each of the amino acids in the genetic code. And the reason they're important is that their job is to match an amino acid with the correct RNA, which is going to then decide which triplet in the genetic code corresponds to which amino acid.
1: So you've studied both class 1 and class 2 lysyl-tRNA synthetases. How do these enzymes differ with respect to substrate specificity?
4: Well, we found out a few years ago that these enzymes have a very interesting feature. They're, of course, able to recognize lysine in exactly the same way to pick up the amino acid that they need for decoding lysine in the genetic code. But what we saw a few years ago was that they actually differ in how good they are at excluding different lysine analogs. So this is in keeping out molecules that look like lysine but aren't lysine and which can infiltrate the genetic code and lead to mistakes in protein synthesis. And the difference between these enzymes is that they exclude different structural groups of lysine analogs. So
1: what was your thinking when you initiated the study on resistance to the antibiotic AEC?
4: Well... We'd seen a few years ago that the class 1 lysol tRNA synthetase is particularly resistant to AEC, and so this is the enzyme that's rather rare, whereas the more common enzyme that we see in bugs like E. coli is quite sensitive to AEC. So we were interested in seeing if this in vitro work that we'd done would hold up actually in the cell, and if, if these synthetases would be able to actually provide some resistance to AEC. So that's, that's why we started this work.
1: In this study, you've used a genetic screen to obtain E. coli strains with mutant synthetases. What did you learn from these mutants?
4: What we learned, to our surprise, was that the class 1 and the class 2 synthetases are not as different as we thought, because we were able to select mutants in the class 2 enzyme, the enzyme we expect to be naturally fairly sensitive to this antibiotic, and to select mutants which actually become as resistant to the antibiotic as the the naturally resistant form of the enzyme, even though these two enzymes have no structural similarity at all.
1: An alternative hypothesis suggested the involvement of the L-box riboswitch, a lysine-binding RNA structure in resistance to AEC. How do you think these two models are integrated in the cell?
4: I think that it's important to think of them as being two things happening at the same time, and this is what Really, we were were trying to find out when we did this work, and that's because what we can see is that the target of the antibiotic is the synthetase, and that's because the antibiotic looks so much like lysine that the cell will actually end up putting this lysine analog, which just has a sulfur substitution at the beta position, into proteins. And so the target seems to be the synthetase, whereas the L-box provides a mechanism of resistance if you can make the L-box change the regulation so that lysine is produced in higher levels, it provides a mechanism of resistance. So what we've done here is to really differentiate the target of the antibiotic versus the source of resistance of the antibiotic. And this is very similar to other antibiotics that target translation where they might be targeting the ribosome and you can get resistance either by mutations in the ribosome or by upregulating efflux pumps, which will pump the antibiotic out of the cell. It's, it's to differentiate the target versus a, sort, a potential source of resistance to the antibiotic.
1: Thanks, Mike, for joining us today.
4: You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks to all of you for listening. Join us next month for more ACS chemical biology highlights and interviews with our authors. To learn more about our journal, please visit www.acschemicalbiology.org.